The following message is presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Now the message. While I'm sharing, if you go ahead and turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we're going to stand and read it in a moment. I want to preach a message to you today called God's Design for a Blessed Church. The earliest in my notes I can find that this sermon was preached is 1999. So it's been traveling with me a while. And uh, it's a good one. It's a necessary one for the church. And you'll understand in a minute when we open the scriptures together as we think of what it means to be blessed as a church. I want to share with you a couple of quick stories about churches that are being blessed right now in Louisiana. As a Louisiana church planning and mission staff person, you know that I have some stories. But let me tell you about Mark Mitchell in New Orleans. Mark Mitchell is an African-American pastor, and when Hurricane Ida came through the city of New Orleans, it disabled his church there in Kenner, New Hope in Kenner. He pastors two churches. His one in Gentilly was still functioning, but the one in Kenner just had the weeds growing around it. And I came in contact with him. I said, Mark, I said, you've got to do something related to the community or people are going to give up on this church, think it's closed for good. And so over the next year, up until just recently, we would have weekly mentoring phone calls, really have become great friends with Mark and challenged him and encouraged him to get into the neighborhood and get into the community. And so he did with food ministry and front yard Bible clubs and block parties and outreaches and a Sunday school at the church. One of the buildings was not damaged too bad. And over that period of time made relationships with literally hundreds of people in the neighborhood while rebuilding the church. Well, the church was finally rebuilt and Mark, you've got to meet Mark. Mark decided in great New Orleans fashion to have a grand opening that included a parade. And so he commissioned 32 cars to decorate in the names of Jesus and paraded through the neighborhood near the church, picking up people along the way to come to the grand opening. They got to the grand opening and the ribbon cutting and 200 people gathered on the property. I don't think they ever had 50 before the storm. Mark said people just coming from everywhere. They went inside, had worship, had baptism. More people came to be born again and more people are being baptized. And he called me the first of this week. He said, let me tell you this story. He couldn't even hardly get the words out. He said, Danny came to our church by the invitation of another and Danny is three months sober. And so I've been spending time with Danny and Danny finally decided that he wanted to become born again and be baptized in Kenner. So we took him to Kenner and baptized him in Kenner. And after it was over, we took him to the gas station and bought him $10 of gas and a two-piece chicken dinner. While he, we were buying the two-piece chicken dinner, Danny said to the ladies behind the counter, this guy just baptized me. And the two ladies behind the counter both said, Oh, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. Where can I get baptized? And they had this great, and I don't know, but 11 o'clock, they were supposed to be there today to hear what it means to be baptized. And as we fellowshiped and shared with one another, I said to Mark, this is worth hearing. You may hear this again. Mark, I said, you know why you're baptizing all these people? It's a great profound truth. Because you're making it important. Isn't that true? Folks, we're in the baptizing people business. We are baptized by our name. 
And we are to make baptism important for the sake of those who don't know him yet. The lady behind the chicken stand counter and the guy on the street that's trying to get sober. That's the sign of a blessed church. The life of new people coming into the faith and coming into the family to be discipled and give witness of their newfound faith in Christ. We had the privilege of starting a new church in Monroe this past week. Bubba Ezel. Now Bubba Bubba. He's a crafty, smart Bubba, but he's a Bubba. He's the pastor of First Baptist Church in Gilbert. And this little church, about seven years ago, had about 12 people huddled in it and didn't have a pastor for five years. And Bubba showed up, recently sober himself, and recently called to the ministry, and he became their pastor. In the course of time, he established a ministry to drug addicts and alcoholics to get clean and sober. And now in Gilbert... There's about 50 guys that are in long-term care, mixing with that 12, and mixing with families that are all getting well because of the husbands getting well in sobriety. And so that's a working model. We've started a second campus in southwest Monroe on the edge of Balcomville, which is one of the darkest places in Louisiana and in the country. And that same pattern will be in place putting guys in a long-term residential program. There's a Celebrate Recovery there. There's about 15 members of the church that are on a campus bigger than this. And there is a, a group of people from the community that are followers of Bubba's that have been well from Gilbert who are going to come. And when the church opens for business, it'll probably open with 100 people all ready to go in this mix of people. That's a sign of a church being blessed. It struggled and was fledgling for a long time. And now the right leader and the right plan and the right strategy. By the way, that strategy is being repeated all over Louisiana. We're going this next week to a place north of Baton Rouge that could be identified as the same site. We have one identified in Jennings. We sadly have churches in our convention that are underutilized or closed and have no way to reopen or no idea. And so this is a way to recycle some of these churches into usefulness again, which is, I know, one that pleases the Lord. In fact, we had another site in North Louisiana. I won't name them. be very vague because of the contrast to the churches that I just told you about. A church that's closed and a property bigger than this, and one person holds the keys to the property. There's no worship, there's no meetings, but one person is left as a member. We approached that member with the possibility of doing multiple things on the property, reaching women that have been in trafficking and abuse and food pantry and clothing and recovery and a church plant. And this one person said, I don't want that in my church. Well, that is not a blessed church. So I'll just put my prayer warriors on that one, that it would change that person's heart. Because can you imagine a facility like this just sitting empty and empty and vacant and the only thing is done in the grasping mode as opposed to having a house full of people that are hearing about Jesus and about the Lord. The truth of it is, when we think of this matter of the blessing of the church, you would find 15 opinions from 15 people what is considered a blessing. And likely every opinion, except maybe that one guy, but likely... Every opinion would have some level of rightness about it. 
Our church is blessed because of the music. Our church is blessed because of the meeting, uh, the preaching. Our church is blessed because of the programs, the fellowship. The rela- you know, you'd have a list of things that make for a blessing. But here's the great news as a lesson of learning today. There is a standard for a blessed church that is found in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. There's a standard here that is a result of the experience at Pentecost in Acts chapter 1-8. And Peter is the goer. Peter is the driver. The Holy Spirit is leading Peter to bring about what we would call the standard bearer of the New Testament church. The story leading up to the scripture, and we'll read in just a second, is a story again of Peter. We've talked about him before. Called from fishing, following Christ. Jesus asked along the way, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, meaning himself. And Peter, Little Rock, will be instrumental in helping. And then Peter had these ups and down journey with Jesus. He failed him before the cross. He failed him at the cross. He was recovered by the sea. He was with the others in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came with a great wind and a flaming tongue of fire. And languages were given to the apostles and others in the upper room. And they began to get out in the street and give testimony of what Jesus had done in their life. And in the middle of that cacophony of sound, of the Holy Spirit, fire and flame and spirit, in the middle of that, from the rising and falling of Peter's testimony, Peter stands up and preaches. And he preaches his testimony. He preaches what Jesus had shown him. He preaches what Jesus had done for him. And if you read Acts 1 and up to 2, where we'll read... It'd take 10 minutes. It's profound 10 minutes, but it'll take 10 minutes. And as a result of that simple, broken and healed, powerful testimony and preaching, 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom in that one day. Can you imagine what it would be like if Bayou Vista community got saved all at once? Can you imagine the difference it would make in this community? That's what happened. And as a result, they didn't have a constitution and bylaws. They didn't have church order and structure. They didn't have bulletins. They didn't have all the budgets and all the matters that are necessary. I'm not disgracing any of those things at all. They just knew they needed to meet because they were new believers together. And they formed the church. And it becomes the standard bearer by which all New Testament churches are to be measured. And so today as we reflect back on the character qualities of this first New Testament church, we must take inventory and ask ourselves, are we like that? In the places that you answer yes affirm those answers and strengthen those answers with all of your energy and might. In the places where you might say no, individually or collectively, those are places to correct. Those are places to grow and strengthen to become a church that is blessed, that God blesses, so that we can see the fruit of the ministry in this community as well. So let's stand together in honor of the Lord. Take a minute to move and we'll read together and see what happened as a result of these 3,000 added to the kingdom. It says, Then those, verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, 
And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here's the best part. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. May God bless the reading, hearing, and the preaching of the word today. Thanks. You can be seated. So they started meeting. And they did some things that they just reacted to as a result of their newfound relationship with Christ. It made sense to them to gather and listen to the apostles' teaching and support one another and be together with one another and grow in Christ together and grow in discipleship together. And so as we take this passage of Scripture and kind of divide it into a few talking points or thoughts, I want to share with you this. First of all, a blessed church clearly understands its priorities. It clearly understands its priority. They continued in the Apostles' Doctrine. You see, they didn't have the complete printed or electronic Bible like you and I have today. They had the Old Testament. It was rare and not available to everybody. They knew it and knew that it was a story of God's redemption to the earth, pointing the way to Jesus. But in the New Testament time, all they really had at this point was the Apostles' Doctrine. Well, what is the Apostles' Doctrine? It was simply the Apostles remembering everything they learned from Jesus. Every walking on water, every breaking of bread, every feeding of 5,000, every miracle, every late night teaching, every early morning prayer time. This is what we learn and this is what we know. And the apostles with great authority and great animation because the stories were so rich and meaningful to their lives. They imparted all of this knowledge about Jesus to them as they grew in their relationship with Christ. And the members of this church gladly listened and heard. We would equate that to the preaching service and the teaching ministry of the church to the, today. Certainly the preacher is not an apostle, but is responsible for teaching and preaching and ministering the word of God to the people who are here to learn. So that you can apply and live it in your life. And there have been times and ministry where members are resistant to the teaching and preaching of the Lord. That's not a good idea. But it's a good idea to listen and be receptive. Sometimes it's affirming and encouraging. Sometimes it stings. And if it stings, it stings because all of it is intended for correction and direction to build up the body of Christ. So the body of Christ can be great at discipling people who are outside of the faith as of today. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship. Some of the best times I've had in the ministry of the church is fellowship. Somebody agree with me and say amen? amen? It's a privilege of mine to travel through Louisiana and go to associational meetings and annual meetings. And I was talking to some brothers the other day and saying it's interesting the, the dividing line of fellowship meals about bunky Louisiana. 
When you get above that line and you go to all church fellowship meals, it's fresh vegetables and fried chicken and okra and tomatoes and those kind of things. Those are all real good. But when you draw the line south, you know what it is. It's white beans and fried fish and jambalaya and etouffee. It's all good. Of course, the meal is a side gig or a side reason for getting together and being together. And greater than having a meal is the joy of being together. Coming together over a meal, coming together in Sunday school, you're a meeting group of people coming together in the uh, fellowship and small groups and discipleship groups is to reinforce and build up the necessity of unity in the body of Christ and be together. Here's the news of the day. You may not see eye to eye with every other member on every single matter, but we are called to get along. We are called to be agreeable and to be united with one another because as important as it is the gospel message, unity is just as important because if the body is not unified trying to preach the message, the message falls on deaf ears. And so being together is such a value. And these first members of Jesus Christ and members of his church were continuing in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship in prayers and evangelism. They had a good testimony in the community. They spoke well of Jesus wherever they go. I spent the last couple of days with some national missionaries in New Orleans at a fancy hotel. And that was a fun time. And there was a lot of people serving in the hotel. And as I got there, there were these two young men that were working the luggage and working for tips in the front door, which I appreciated. They helped us greatly. And at one point, I put my arm on each one of their shoulders and I said to them, said, you guys serving the Lord? You following after Jesus? And the one guy looked at me like he'd seen a ghost. <laughs> and the other guy just kind of snapped, snapped to attention and was proud to say yes. And so the rest of the time, the brother that said yes couldn't get enough of connection to me. Every time he saw me, he shook my hand, he put an arm around the back, he smiled at me as if to say, thank you for asking me that and thank you for affirming me of that. The other guy who'd seen a ghost apparently saw a ghost because he never was to be seen again. But I hope, I hope, and just that simple good word, I hope the brother who knew the Lord opened the door to share with his other brother who didn't know the Lord and build that relationship. You know that scripture where it says, some planted, some watered, and some gave the increase. So there's that matter of just talking a good name and a good word for the Lord. It matters how we conduct ourselves in the community. What would they say of us at the Le Monte Leon Hotel if we, a bunch of preachers and ministers, came there and were rude and insolent and dismissive to the people that work there? What would they say of us when we left? Some Christians, they are. We must be careful about our testimony wherever, wherever we go. Because who knows what one building block upon another does to bring someone to faith in Christ. Think about your own salvation if you're born again. Were you just kind of one and done with the message of the gospel? Probably not. Probably heard it in Sunday school from a friend, a family member, a wife, a husband. And it built a case for Jesus Christ being the one to follow. That's what they were doing. And they were building a case because at the end of the passage it says that the Lord added to their church those who were being saved. They weren't just dropped in the membership. The members were a part of that. And you and I are called to be a part of that evangelistic crusade. Who have you invited to church lately? Who needs to be in Sunday school with you? Who needs to be in women's fellowship group whenever the next time is you meet? Who needs to be at the men's event and invite people to come and be a part of this great 
by you, Vista Baptist Church. A blessed church not only understands its priorities, but similarly, a blessed church practices what it preaches. Look at what it says. It said, Fear came upon many souls, and every soul and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. They preached that God was with them, and as a result, many signs and wonders were done in the community, in the neighborhood. The apostles had seen Jesus healing. The apostles had seen the blind man see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the one go into the pool. They'd seen all of that. And they imitated what they saw. And additionally, more signs and more wonders and more evidence of Christ being with them. Today, we sometimes minimize the miraculous. Why? Because we're not expecting it. The miraculous can take on a physical form, a a spiritual form, a healing of the mind, of the body, of the soul. It can take on the form of a relationship. There are all kinds of miracles that God can work in through you and through me and through his church. This church preached that they were believers because the love of Christ showed to them by giving his life on the cross. Didn't you love that phrase? We're going to sing it again, that song about Calvary. We're going to sing that again at the closeout. Didn't you just love that song about the cross? It's about the cross. It's about forgiveness. It's about salvation. It's about washing away sins in baptism. It's about preaching the love of Christ that can save me, that can save you, that can save anybody in the world. This church preached that they'd received the love of Christ and were saved. And as a result, they had all things in common, everything together with one another. Thirdly, a blessed church absolutely trusts their members. Now, what is that when you read in the scripture about them selling all their goods and services and giving to the apostles to meet one another's needs? What, what is that? Well, that was their way. They were trusting one another. They were trusting that everyone would have some. I don't know that that would be the best thing to do here, but I do know that there is the responsibility of the church to be generous to the members and to the community as well. To give away some of your money to cooperative program money and missions offerings, which you generously do. To know that that money is spread around the world to help others do the mission work of the gospel. To give money to local work and local missions. But not only money, but give your time and effort and services to come along some beside someone in need and love them to a better place in the name of Jesus. It is our responsibility to be generous. The truth of it is, in the society that we live in, we can all live on less. The church can live on less. And to thin out some of the things of the budget, to be able to be more generous with the community, with the testimony of Christ followed behind. They sold everything. They gave it away. They weren't concerned about what they owned. And by the way, when they sold their possessions, they were released from the power of owning those possessions. Because our possessions can possess us. And we can begin to spend all of our time managing our stuff. And keeping up with stuff that constantly breaks down. Constantly doesn't work right. And they sold it all to be generous. And they trusted one another. And they trusted the apostles to do with it as was needed to meet the needs of all. What a great environment of a church. Wouldn't you like to go to church like that? Well, you can. Because this is the standard for the church. A church also enjoyed daily growth. A minute ago I mentioned that the 
reason why the pastor in New Orleans is baptizing so many people is because he makes it important. It is the pinnacle of the work that we do. Baptist preachers always remember their first. I remember my first baptism. It was at Bayou Plaquemine Baptist Church across the Atchafalaya. I was so nervous. I wanted to make sure I said the right things. I didn't want to mess this little girl up that had become born again. And you know, Brother Gilder, there's something you're supposed to say, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy... I was afraid I'd forget it. So I took a big poster and I wrote it on the inside wall of the baptistry. And I could look over my hand and look at it and make sure I said everything right. I've been back there. I need to look. It's probably still there, you know. But I was so nervous. And Baptist, you got it done. We got it right and baptized her. And baptisms are so joyful and so much fun. I remember when I was in a church in, Bruce, in the church in Broussard, there were two African-American men back to back that wanted to be baptized. One was younger and one was very old and French speaking and he couldn't hardly speak English and I couldn't speak French. I honestly don't know how he got saved. Must have been that uh, spiritual utterance that helped him be born again. But he was clearly born again. So it came time to baptize these two men. And Mark, the younger man, came down into the water. And we got in the water and I went to baptize him. About right here, I learned that he was afraid of water. And it was too late. And so he went down, and as he went down, he splashed and thrashed and grabbed the microphone. And I'm saying, oh, Lord, we're coming to Jesus right now. He let go, I baptized him, he scooted out. The old French black man was in the wings watching this. And so when it was his turn to baptize, he, he wasn't going to have any of that. He came down in the water, grabbed his nose and walked through. And I said, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and out he went. That's the first time I learned you can baptize front ways, you know, it doesn't have to go back. But what great memories, what great thrilling memories. I interim pastored at a church in De Quincey, uh, in New Hope Baptist Church in De Quincey, and there was a boy in the church, one of my favorite stories of baptism. There was a boy in the church who was raised by a single mom, and he was giving her fits. You, you can imagine, 10, 11-year-old boy and a single mom. And so there was a couple in the church that just volunteered informally to take on the boy for the summer. They'd raised four boys. They were strong parents. Their boys all turned out well. And so they figured out, we can take on one more. So they just informally took him in. He came to Sunday school every week. He sat quietly in church. He behaved himself. He learned all those things that mama couldn't and wouldn't and wasn't teaching him. And in the course of time... And evidence became clear that he wanted to become saved and born again. And sure enough, he was gloriously born again. And it was my privilege to baptize him. And he got in the water to baptize, and we baptized him. It was pretty normal baptism, said the right things. And when he came up out of that water, the church spontaneously gave a standing ovation for his baptism. And they applauded and applauded. And this young man just soaked it all in. What they were saying was... This couple took him in, but we all baptized him. We all put up with this young boy to bring him to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptism is the pinnacle of what we do. Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be washed in the water, the ceremony of cleansing, having been washed by the blood of Jesus in your heart? Today is the day to give testimony of that. Today is the day like the two ladies at the chicken shack. I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized. Do you need to be baptized? 
and born again. I pray right now that Mark is ministering to those two ladies that wanted to leave the chicken shack job and come and be at the church today. What about you? And what about who needs to be baptized that's not here yet? I'll just say this, and I know I'm drifting a little bit, but this is so important. Vacation Bible School is coming really soon. And I know you do, but let me just reinforce it. Take it very seriously. I predict that there's a community of children that'll come that may never be in the church as a child again, but during vacation Bible school. My five-year-old grandson is coming to our vacation Bible school, and he's going to hear about Jesus. Let me tell you a brief story about my son-in-law, who's now my son-in-law. He started dating my daughter when they were about 18, and he wasn't born again. And so my daughter loved him and wanted to win him to Christ. Hannah, you know, if he's not a Christian, it's going to be difficult. So she set out to win him before they got serious. And she witnessed to him and witnessed to him and witnessed to him. Finally, one day he relented and he said, Well, I did that when I was a nine-year-old boy. What? She said. And he began to tell the story. It's like a distant memory in his mind. that his grandparents took him to First Baptist Lafayette. And he went to vacation Bible school and accepted Jesus Christ and was baptized there. And because his family didn't take him to church, he thought it didn't stick. But she probed him even further and realized he was born again. He was saved. And they got married. And they're raising our one-year-old grandson in New Orleans in church. Vacation Bible school matters. It mattered in my family. And it can matter to many children who will come and cut and color and Kool-Aid and paste and learn about Jesus. It's just one tool. It's just one tool of evangelism that we can reach our community. They enjoyed daily growth. And all of those 3,000 and more were baptized on that day. And as a result, the blessed church became very thankful. I know you are, but it's important to remind ourselves that we are thankful for our church. We're thankful for one another We're thankful for the ministry. We're thankful for what it's done in our life, what it's done in our family. We're thankful for the resources. We're thankful for what we've learned. We're thankful for music. We're thankful for prayer. We thank, and on and on. I want to encourage you to leave today being thankful for your church. Over lunch today, talk about being thankful as a church. God gives the church flaws and all. He gives the church to minister to our needs. He gives the church to worship the Father. He gives the church to serve as a lighthouse, a messenger to lost sinners. He gives the church to be a blessing in our lives. And there are those people who are outside the ministry of the church today who are counting on you to bring the blessing to them and bring the blessing of Jesus to the church. Dear Father, I pray I pray that as this message of old in my experience has been delivered once again today from the timeless scripture about the beginning of the New Testament church, I pray that it's been an affirmation and maybe even a correction in some ways, all for the benefit of the body of Christ to be better, to grow in faith, to grow in grace, to grow in number of people saved in salvation. I pray, dear Lord, even today, if there's someone here that needs to be baptized, pray that they would take the courage to come and request baptism. 
having known Jesus Christ. Father, bless your church and let us be thankful for the blessing that comes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The preceding message was presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about Bayou Vista, including contact info, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.